Welcome to New Community Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to hear today's message. We are encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to touch lives. If you have a story to share or a prayer request for our prayer team, please email us at connect at newcommunity.co. Now please prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Well, if I haven't had a chance to personally meet you yet, my name is Aaron and I'm the lead pastor here at NCC. And we're excited that you're worshiping with us this morning. As we mentioned, it's the first week in our series called Villains. And it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to look at some of the bad guys, if you will, in the Bible. And look at some of their kind of the mistakes that they made and how we avoid those in our life. Some of the actions and the attitudes that they had that we want to stay away from so we don't become the villain in our story. And so it's going to be um, a really exciting series. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't gone to our Instagram or to our Facebook on social media yet, um, go on there. Every week we're posting a villains video. Um, So someone got pranked this week. Sorry, Jessica. And um, we want to encourage you, just share those. Invite other people. Invite um, family members or friends or neighbors, coworkers to be a part of this series. I believe it's going to be a really good time together as we look at um, the Word of God and look at the villains in the Bible. And so today we're going to look at our first villain, okay? And... When you look at great fairy tales, great hero stories, you look at the villains in those stories, all of them need a good alias, don't they? Like a really good name. You think of 101 Dalmatians, you think of Cruella de Vil. Evil is right there in her name, okay? That's how you know that she's the villain in that story. Other villains, um, all, all throughout, like Disney characters and all of those, Scar, um, Maleficent, all of them. I don't know if we have any... 80s guys here that grew up in the 80s, but Skeletor, right? He-Man's villain. Okay, a few of you guys remember that. He was a skeleton type villain in that series, and they all had good names. I mean, the Joker with Batman, all of these, they have a name that kind of symbolizes who they are, and the villain that we're going to talk about today, he's not lacking in aliases. There's plenty of names that he's gone by over the years. You may have heard him referred to as Beelzebub, the Angel of Death, Lucifer, the Morning Star, the angel of light, the grim reaper, okay? I could go on and on. Satan, the villain that we're talking about this morning is the devil, okay? We're going to talk about the devil, and we're going to look at what the word of God says about the devil and what it looks like as he plays the villain in our life, in scripture, and how we avoid falling and prey to his traps. And so as we start to talk about the devil, I want to kind of level the playing field and make sure that we're all realize who we're talking about, who the devil is, Um, this morning. And so I want to go over some of the myths about the devil and then um, some of the truths that we know about who this villain is this morning. Now, a lot of us, when we think about the devil, we think about a little cartoon character, okay? We see this fat little angel, right, sitting right here on our shoulders, and he's whispering in our ears, and he's kind of a cute guy, even though he's, you know, evil or whatever, even though he's the bad guy. kind of this round, chubby little angel, and he's sitting there telling us what to do, the bad stuff that we should do. And that's the picture that some of us get in our mind when we think of the devil. For others of us, we think of like this monstrous beast, right? Like this bodybuilder type angel, right, that has these big muscles, that's all red, that has these twisted horns coming out of his head with a pitchfork, and he's ready to zap you into hell or whatever it is that he does, okay? And that's the image that we sometimes get in our mind when we think of the devil. But the Bible really doesn't give us a description. Other than it does say in the book of Revelation... When we see him, we're going to be like, wait, that's the guy that did all of this? He doesn't look that impressive, okay? That's what Revelation tells us is we're going to see him and be like, man, I can't believe that's the guy that caused all of this 
horrible stuff to happen. And so we do know that about him. That's kind of the only physical description that we're given um, from the scriptures. But there are some very specific things that we are told. The devil is a real spiritual being, okay? He's not made up. He's not fictitious. It's not just this kind of idea, philosophical idea of evil out there in the world. And so we say, well, the devil made me do it. And he's like some boogeyman out there that doesn't really exist. No, he's a real spiritual being. He was created by God, we're told. He was an angelic being at one time. So he was in heaven with God, worshiping with all the angels and with all the heavenly hosts. He was a part of that group. And at one point, we understand from scripture, from prophecy, that he tried to rise above God. The devil came to a point where he said, I am greater than God, I'm more beautiful than God, and I'm going to kick God out of his throne, and I'm going to rule in heaven. And God wasn't going to have that, so he cast Satan out of of heaven. And when that happened, he took one-third of the angelic hosts with him. He took one-third of the angels with him. And so you may ask, well, if he's not in heaven, then where is he? Is he in hell? Well, according to Scripture, we're told that he works here a lot in the earth, that we see him at work in the earth. When we look at the evil that's going on around us, it's part of Satan and these fallen angels. It's part of their work. And so most of the time we assume that the devil is here trying to destroy creation, trying to stop God's plan of salvation. We know that about him. The other thing that we know is the devil is not the opposite of God. Like sometimes we really think that like there's these two gods and they're battling it out you know, for the souls of mankind, but that's not how it is. The devil is not the opposite of God. He's not all-powerful. It's not like a good God and an evil God, and we just kind of hope that the good God will win. No, Satan is a created being. He's not eternal like God is. He's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful, okay? So he's not able to do just whatever he wants to do. He's not all-present, okay? So Satan can't be here and also around the world at the same time. It's not possible. God can Because his presence is everywhere, but Satan isn't. And so when you see evil in multiple places, it's his angelic beings, it's these fallen angels, these demon spirits that are working on his behalf. And so Satan is limited in his power. Church, we need to know that as Christians, because he's out to get us. He is the villain in our story that's trying to destroy us, that's trying to destroy God's creation. And it's good for us to remember that God is all-powerful and that Satan is not. This villain is not all-powerful and that he's not going to win in the end. And so it's important that we remember that. And So we want to look at Scripture. We're going to look at the very beginning of this story. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, I'm going to ask, there should be a Bible in the seat in front of you, and you can reach down in that seat and pull that out, and it's in um, page two of the Bible in the seat in front of you, and we're going to start looking at Genesis chapter three, where we see the first villain in the Bible, the first story of evil and sin entering into God's creation. Now, if you read Genesis chapter one and two, if if you're familiar with the creation story, you know that God began to create everything out of nothing. I mean, it was dark, the world was formless, it was void, and God began to speak, and everything that we see around us is created. The light, the stars, the planets, how everything orbits, the moon, and then down to the trees and the plants and the fruits and the vegetables, the animals, until God leaned over this form of man that he had made out of the dirt of the earth, and he breathed the breath of life into him, and man became this living being. And God took man and he said, that wasn't good enough, so I need to make a woman, okay? Messed up a little bit there, that was the trial run, and so ladies, you're the perfection there. Okay, so he makes women, 
and he places both man and woman in the garden, and he gives them some instructions. Hey, I've provided this garden. I've provided everything for you to eat, but he gives them some very specific instructions. And in chapter 3, we read about this villain coming into the story. This is what it says, chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, if you're reading this story, we're going to pause right here. You may be thinking like I'm thinking, wait, did Eve not run off screaming when a snake started talking to her? Okay, seems like a logical thought, right? But this word that serpent, um, this word serpent that's used there is actually interchangeable. It's kind of this fiery angelic being. That's one way that it's used. And in the other, it's the physical form of a snake. So we're not for sure if this villain, if the devil um, appeared as this angel of light, this angelic being, or if he really um, appeared as a snake. But either way, Eve begins this conversation with them. And in verse 2, this is what it says. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. And she gave also some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it as well. So we see the villain come in, and every villain, as I mentioned, they need a good name, but there's also usually something that a villain does. Like the Joker, he throws everything in Gotham into chaos, right? He's crazy, he's kind of a little bit psychotic, and he makes everything kind of disorderly. And so what is it that this villain in the Bible does? What is it that Satan does? Well, there's something that Satan is the master of. Jesus tells us about this, that he is the father of all lives. And this is what the devil does. He comes into Adam and Eve's life, and he begins to deceive them so that he can destroy them. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. That's what this villain does. He comes into your life, into my life. We see it right here in the story. The devil will deceive you so he can destroy you. That's his ultimate goal is he wants to tell you lies. He wants to bring deceit into your life so that he can destroy God's creation. That's what he has set out to do. And this is what it says right here. He said to the woman, did God actually say, come on, Eve. Like, I know God gave you some instruction. I know there's some things that he told you to do, but did God actually say not to eat of that fruit? Is that really what he meant there? I mean, there was a lot of rules there, but, but is that what God was trying to tell you? And he's trying to bring deception. He's trying to bring a lie into her life so that he can separate God from his creation, so that he can destroy God's creation, so he can kind of throw it in the face of God. And so what does he do? He uses lies to get in between us in God and to create distance in our life. Chapter 2 of Genesis is very clear. When you read it, you see what God is doing. You see the creation that he's made. And he places them in the garden and he gives them everything that they could ever want. The most delicious, sweetest pineapples, okay? Crisp apples, the juiciest oranges, cucumbers. Sarah would be happy. I hate bell peppers, but I'm sure they were there, okay? 
So there's all of this, right? Man's not working for it. Adam and Eve, they're not dreading hitting the snooze button, okay? They're not getting in their uniform or a suit and a tie and commuting to downtown garden. They don't have to do that. They don't have to work for any of this. God has given them everything. And he's placed two trees in the garden right in the middle. In one of those trees, he was very clear. He said, hey, don't touch that tree. Don't eat of its fruit because when you do, you're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to surely die. So he's very clear in those instructions. But Satan begins to bring deceit. He brings that question in Eve's mind. Is that really what's going to happen? Come on, Eve. Think about it. God's kind of holding out on you, isn't he? Like there's more to this and God doesn't want you to know about it. God's lied to you. He twists the truth of what Jesus said. He twists the truth of what God says, of what the word of God says, that man, God is trying to deceive you. I'm here to bring the truth. That's what this villain is telling them. And he, he wants them to believe that somehow they can live outside of God's plan. They can live outside of God's truth and everything will be okay. That they can live in this deceit and somehow it's all going to turn out okay. I can remember whenever I was a young child, probably about five or six years old, there was one device in our house that just mesmerized me. It amazed me. It was called the Polaroid camera. How many of you guys remember this? Okay. Here's a modern version. Yours probably looked really different. Mine did, okay, whenever I was little. But it was the most amazing thing because I remember growing up, most cameras, what you would do is you'd take a picture, right? You'd snap a picture. You had to snap so many pictures, and then you'd send them off. You'd go to some kind of photo developing place, and you'd have to wait a few days or a week, right? You'd be waiting. But this device right here, instantaneously, and it had the cool noise, right? You'd press the button, and the little film would come out, and it was so awesome. And so there was one rule in my house with the Polaroid camera. Aaron, don't touch it. Okay, that was the rule. But I thought I could get away with it. And so when mom and dad would sneak out of the room, whenever they would go out of the room, and back into their room or into the kitchen, I would go where they kept it in the living room. And I would take that Polaroid camera, you guys. And I would take, this is before iPhones, I took the very first selfie, Okay. The very first selfie, I would take that. And then, right, you would take that Polaroid, you'd shake it really good, and you'd wait just a few seconds, and all of a sudden, that picture would start to appear. Now, my camera was a little different. It'd slide out the front or whatever. And all of a sudden, once I had done that, mom would come into the room, and I'd be like this. Aaron, what are you doing? Nothing. She'd go back out of the room, and what would I do? Right? Man, I take that, that next picture, and this would go on and on, right? Let me get a picture of you guys. You guys look good over there, okay? And I would take these pictures, right? And finally, my mom or my dad, they would come back into the room. I'd run over wherever the Polaroid camera was supposed to be hidden, and I'd hide it again. And they'd say, Aaron, did you touch the Polaroid camera? Uh-uh. I didn't touch it. Aaron, you're sure you did not touch the Polaroid camera? Nope. Nope. That wasn't me. And when they would walk over and... You know, kind of the proof is all over the ground, right? You can start to see the evidence is right there. Who was taking the pictures, right? It's starting to develop right here. But this picture of me, there were pictures of me littered all over the ground. And my parents knew that I had done that. But somehow in my little five or six-year-old mind, I really thought that I could get away with that. I thought that I could somehow live in that deceit. I thought that somehow I could trick them and everything would be okay. It wasn't. I usually got spanked for it, okay? So it didn't work out that well. And that's how Adam and Eve, they're believing the lie of this villain. 
They're believing the lie of the devil that somehow they can live outside of God's plans, of God's instruction, of God's wisdom, and everything is going to be okay. But it's not. When they listen to the words of the devil, now did God actually say this? When they believe that deceitful lie of the enemy, brokenness enters into our world. Sin enters into our world for the very first time when they start to listen to the lies of the enemy. And you think we would learn after all of these years, after all of this time, thousands and thousands of years later, generation after generation of Adam's kids and sons and daughters, you think that we would pick up on what happened, but we don't. See, because this villain still comes into your life and into my life, and he says the exact same thing. Now, did, did God actually say that, Aaron? Is that what God meant in his scripture? Now, he's not talking about you. He's not talking about your circumstance or your situation, right? Like, did God actually say, don't pirate songs or movies, right? It's not really. I mean, that corporation has so much money. What's it going to hurt if you download that or if you illegally borrow that movie, right? I mean, it's not a big deal. They make millions anyway. Now, did God actually say, don't do that? Ladies, in your workplace, did God actually say, don't flirt? I mean, you're not going out and committing adultery, right? But what's a harmless wink? What's a harmless kiss? What's so, did, is, did God actually say that? Is that what he meant? Guys, did God actually say, don't look at porn? I mean, you're not actually cheating on your wife. You're not having sex with someone else. It's not really that bad. Did God actually say that with your words? Did God actually say don't be angry, don't gossip, don't slander. God didn't mean your situation, right? This is just a healthy place to vent. You're, you're not really killing anyone with your words. Your words aren't really harming anyone. This is a safe place. Did God actually say that? And the enemy comes into our life time and time again, church, and he wants you to believe his lie. He wants you to believe you're the exception to God's rule. God didn't mean your situation. God didn't mean your circumstance. He meant someone else. He meant something different. And so he wants you to believe his lie that he was trying to get Adam and Eve to believe. You can live outside of God's design and God's purpose and you're going to be okay. God didn't actually mean, mean you when he said that. But he's a liar, church. He's a liar. He wants to destroy your life. He is here for one purpose only, and that is to deceive you because he wants to destroy you. Make no mistake, Satan is not here because you're missing out on a good time, and he wants to let you know what you're missing out on. He's not here so that you can have fun or you can enjoy life. No, he is here for one purpose. He is set and bent on destroying God's creation, you and me. He wants destruction in our life. He wants you to believe the lie that you can sin and you're going to be okay. You can somehow make it out okay. Did God actually say that, church? Is that really what he meant when he said that in his scripture? When scripture is plain, it's truthful, it's simple. We understand how God wants us to live, but the enemy wants to deceive us in our life. And he goes on beyond that. What was Satan's first sin? He got cast out of heaven because of pride in his life. Because he thought, I can be like God. I can be greater than God. I can sit on the throne like God sits on the throne. And it's going to be okay. And what does he say to the woman in verse 4? But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. If you have your Bibles, underline that. Because 
That's the lie of the enemy right there. You can be like God. You don't need God. You don't really have to rely on him. God's not that important a part of your life. You can do it on your own. Like maybe sometimes you need to pray, but really you can kind of handle this life by yourself. You don't need to fully trust and fully rely on God. You're going to be okay by yourself. You can be like God. That's the lie that the enemy gives us. And he wants us to fall prey to that idea of pride in our life. And what does pride do, church? Pride will persuade you away from your purpose every single time. Pride will draw you away. It will persuade you away from the purpose that God made you to live in. What did he do here with Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve, you can live on your own. You can be like God. What was their purpose? They were made to bring glory to God. Church, your life was made to bring glory to God, to worship God. That's why you were created. You were made to be in a relationship with God, to know God, to love God, to understand his love for us. That is the purpose that we were made, to be in fellowship with God. And the enemy wants to deceive you and wants pride to enter your life and tell you, you don't need God. Worship God. Why? You can be God yourself. You can be like God. Why would you worship him? You can do that on your own. Have a relationship with God? Why? You don't need him. He's deceiving Adam and Eve. He's trying to get them to buy into the lie that they don't need God, that they're good on their own, that they can be God in and of themselves. But God knows our purpose. He knows why we're created. He created us for his glory. He created us to worship him, not because he's up in heaven saying, man, I feel depressed. I hope someone comes on Sunday morning and sings a good song about me so I just feel encouraged. That's not how God is. He's not up there in heaven like, man, I'm so lonely. I wish I had a friend. Maybe I should make someone. That's not how God is. He knows that we need that. Church, do you understand that our purpose is not for God? It's because we need to worship him. We need that relationship with him. We're broken and we're destitute on our own. We need God in our life. And the enemy wants to come and place pride in your life so that you'll forget your purpose, so you'll forget why you're, why you're created, and you'll miss out on the life that God meant you to live. You'll miss your ultimate purpose, and you'll miss what it is that God wants for your life. And when you miss your purpose, your life becomes meaningless. You start to be destroyed. Our kids, we love Pixar movies. I don't know if you have any other Pixar fans here, but like Finding Nemo and all of those. And one of our favorites is Toy Story. In the second Toy Story movie, you may remember, there's a couple of characters. One of them is Woody. He's the cowboy. And in this movie, he discovers that he's like a special action figure, right? Like there was this TV show about him, and he's pretty famous, like he used to be really famous. He's Woody the cowboy. And as the story progresses, you meet the villain in the story. His name is Stinky Pete, okay? Great name for a villain, Stinky Pete. You guys can see him up there if you've not seen him. And he's trying to persuade Woody through the course of this movie. He's trying to persuade Woody, hey, forget about your purpose. You need to preserve yourself. You need to somehow survive. You, if, you, if you're taken out of the box and you're played with, if you let kids play with you, all of a sudden you're going to be destroyed. Your life is really going to be ruined. You're going to miss out. And so Stinky Pete never wants to leave his plastic little box there. But Woody's other friend, Buzz, reminds him, we're toys. The whole purpose that we were made is to bring enjoyment to kids. It's to see a laughter or a smile on their face. It's 
to bring joy inside of their heart. We were meant to be used up. We were meant so that our life is given away. We were given a purpose, and that's what brings meaning to our life as toys. It's funny how Pixar understood that, but we miss that sometimes. A little kid's film got it right. Our life was meant to be given away. Church, your purpose, the thing that the devil doesn't want you to realize, this villain does not want you to realize, is your life was meant to be given away. You'll find the most meaning, you'll find the most satisfaction when you realize that my life wasn't just meant for me, it's not meant to be preserved, but it was actually meant to be given in worship to God. It was meant to be given in relationship with God. And this villain will come in your life. You can be God. You can do this on your own. You don't need a relationship with him. He'll allow pride to sneak into your life to persuade you away from your purpose. So you're at your work. And all of a sudden you feel that nudge on your heart like, man, maybe I need to pray for that person. But pride sneaks in, man. They're going to think I'm a weakling if I have to rely on God, that I can't do it on my own. That's pride moving you away from your purpose. Man, getting up and worshiping God is just so hard. It's just so difficult. I'm kind of doing okay on my own. I'm figuring up out stuff on my own. I really don't think I need God's help at this point in my life. That's pride moving you away from your purpose. It's the lie of the enemy trying to deceive you to make you think you're okay on your own. You can be your own God. It's going to be fine. Church, he's here to destroy you. That's what this villain does in our lives. And the powerful thing about this story, just like every great story has to have a villain, it has to have a hero too. If you still have your Bibles open, read Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. This is what it says. Adam and Eve have fallen. They've eaten of the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat of. And God comes and he finds it out and he begins this conversation and this is what he says to the villain in this story. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock. You guys, this is the reason we're scared of snakes, okay? It's biblical, it's right here, the snake has been cursed by God, okay? So I have a reason to be afraid. And above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And listen to this, and I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring, and you shall bruise, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. What's God talking about there? He's pulling back the curtain of history, if you will, into the future. He's giving them a glimpse that the villain will not be victorious in this story. The villain doesn't win in this story, but there's a hero who's going to come into the story. She's actually going to come through Eve, the person that sinned. This hero is going to be born as a man. It's going to be the son of God, and he's going to be wrapping himself up in flesh, and he's going to come and live here among us. And at the beginning of this story, right at the beginning, when evil comes into the world, when this villain makes its first appearance in the world, God places a reminder there in Scripture, this isn't how the story ends. Don't mistake this for the ending of the story. I've got a hero that's coming. And it's going to be my son. And this is what's going to happen. He's talking to the devil. The devil, this is what's going to happen. Satan, you're going to think you've won. You're going to take my son and you're going to beat his back with a whip. You're going to place a crown of thorns on his head. You're going to nail him to the cross and then bury him in a tomb. You are going to strike his heel. You're going to do a little damage. But you know what? 
on the third day, he's going to rise again. And he's going to bruise your head. He's going to crush your head, Satan. That's what's going to happen. You're going to think you were victorious for a few moments, but then the hero is going to rise again. He's going to come back, and he is going to destroy you. He's going to be victorious over sin and over death and over hell and over the grave and over everything that you've ever done, over every villainous act that you've ever created to humanity. My son, the hero in this story, he's going to come and win. Church, we need to remember that. Because although the work of the enemy, the villain, is still at work in our lives in the same way that he was in Adam and Eve's, there's a hero in our story. There's someone that's come in our lives. It's not you, it's not me, it's not Adam and Eve. They couldn't fix their own story. No, we needed someone to come rescue us. We needed someone to come redeem us from our fallen selves, from our mistakes and our sinful nature. And I want to pray for you this morning. I'm going to ask if you would bow your head and close your eyes this morning. And I just want to ask in this room as I've been talking, if there's anyone here and you've started to realize, Aaron, I, man, I've fallen prey to the villain in this story. I've not had a relationship with God. And Satan, this person that you've been talking about, just like he did with Adam and Eve, he's been lying to me. And I've believed his lies. He's been allowing pride to sneak up in my heart where I thought I could fix my life on my own. But I realized this morning that I can't. And if that's you in a moment, I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat and to come forward to the altar. I want to pray for you. As I said, the scripture is very clear. We can't fix our own lives and we've all messed up. We can't point the fingers at Adam and, Eve's and say, Adam and Eve and say, well, it's their fault. They're the ones that did this. No, each and every one of us have believed the lie of the enemy. We've been deceived, all of us, at some point thinking, you know what? That doesn't really mean me. God didn't actually say that to me. And we've allowed sin to enter into our lives. And each and every one of us are in need of a Savior and if you're here this morning and you've never had a relationship with God, you've walked away from your relationship with God, you've believed the lie that you could fix it on your own and do this by yourself, and this morning God's calling you back into his family, you can feel it in your heart. If that's you, with no one looking around this morning right now, would you stand up right where you're at and come forward to this altar? I want to pray for you. Anyone at all? If God's speaking to you, I don't want you to miss this moment, don't miss this opportunity. Don't allow Satan to steal this moment from you. If God's speaking to you, respond this morning. Well, church, then I want to ask all of us to do something. I'm going to ask if you would look up here at me this morning. And in front of you, if you haven't already taken it out, there's a little note card that says sermon notes. I'm going to ask if you would grab that. If you have a smartphone, you can open that up and turn to a note in there. Don't start surfing Facebook, okay? That's not what this is for. Just open that up. Open up a note, something you can write on, something that you can put in your phone and remember later. And this is what we're going to do. This villain comes in our life, and he deceives you. Paul says it like this. He says, in my life, it's the sin that so easily entangles me. It just keeps on coming back and it snares me. I believe the same lie over and over and over again. Seems like the enemy attacks us in the same way. He whispers in your ear the same thing. 
did God really say that? Is that really what God meant? And this is what I want you to do as the worship, team's play, as the worship team is playing. We're going to take just a moment or two. We're not going to make this long. I want you to write down, how is it that this villain comes into your life? What does he say to you over and over again? What is that addiction or that sin that so easily ensnares you in your life? What is it that he whispers in your ear? Even right now as I'm talking, if you know what that is, begin to write it down. Begin to ask God, Jesus, what is that? What is it that he comes and he tells me, hey, it's okay, God didn't mean this in your life. If you know what it is, just begin to write it down. Allow his spirit to speak to your heart. We're just going to take a moment and open up our ears. Jesus, speak to us. What are the lies of the enemy over our life? Then once you have that, I want to do this for us. Some of you may still be writing. That's okay. Just keep on writing. Some of our lists are longer than others, right? It's okay. What we want to do is we want to take that. And this week we want to pray, God, open up our eyes to the lies of the enemy. Holy Spirit, speak to us in those moments that the enemy, this villain, comes in our life and tries to deceive us. By telling us God didn't actually mean you. God wasn't talking about your situation. God wasn't talking about your life there. He meant someone else. It's okay for you to do that. We want our eyes to be open to the lies of the enemy. And for God's truth. For the word of God to be powerful in our life. To destroy the lies of this villain. And so I'm going to do that. You can hold it in your hand. If you wrote it on your phone, just put your hand over that some way symbolically. And let's pray this morning as we close out this service. Let's pray for the truth of God's word to destroy this villain. That we would be victorious over this villain in our life and we would not fall victim to his lies. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you for the power of your word. Lord, you didn't leave us out on our own. Just saying, hey, I hope you figure it out. But Lord, you opened our eyes to the lies of the enemy, Lord. To how Satan comes in our lives. Lord, how he is the villain in our story and how he tries to destroy us. And so this morning, Lord, I pray over everyone sitting in this room, Lord, that you would speak your truth this week. In my life, speak your truth. God, open up my eyes to the deceitful lies of the enemy, how he tries to ensnare me. God, how he tries to destroy me. And Lord, let the power of your truth Bring freedom, God. Let the reminder that you're the hero, Lord, that you were victorious, that you went to the cross and you paid for my freedom, God. Lord, remind me of that this week when the enemy would try to destroy me, God. And let us as New Community Church live victorious, God. Let us live in your power, God, as overcomers. We pray this in your name. Amen.